0: It's good to be with you this morning here in God's house. Amen. It's always a privilege and an honor to get to stand before you and preach God's holy word to you. I never take it lightly. Um, I hope that you had a great Christmas with your family and a restful one. And now, as we get ready for the new year, uh, I just want to bring your attention to a few things as we get started uh, this morning. We will be next week. Uh, will be the first Sunday of the year, and so we'll start the year in Daniel chapter ten. I know you're thinking, when are we ever getting get back to Genesis? We'll get back there the the next week. Uh, we'll start in Genesis chapter six, the flood. But next week, I want to call the church to Genesis or to Daniel chapter ten. Daniel is are about Daniel's desire to see the Lord. Daniel, if you'll read, I would encourage you to read that passage this coming week. He sets out and does a 21-day fast. And next week, I'll call the church uh, to do a 21-day fast to begin the year. And what we're going to look at is asking God to show us His face and His favor. Uh, And you will choose however you want to fast. That's fasting uh, from social media to food to whatever you want to fast from. But I'm going to call us as the church and as your pastor to... Uh, let us give up some things so that our attention would be taken to God and God alone. Uh, it's an amazing passage that we'll look at next week. When, when Daniel gives himself to the Lord in that way, uh, the Lord shows up in some pretty unique and um, amazing ways. And that's my hope as we start uh, 2020. You know, last year at the beginning of the year, we asked God for several things, and because we prayed and prayed and prayed, God met all four of those things that we asked for. And so this year, uh, I will call us to again pray for several things during that fast to see what uh, God would do in 2020. And then the next week, we'll come back to our series, Genesis chapter 6, uh, Origins, and finish out uh, uh, Genesis uh, over the next several weeks after that. Uh, but this morning, I want to draw our attention to Matthew chapter 8. It's amazing to me how God works. Uh, As I was getting ready, I I thought uh, I was going to start with Daniel 10 this morning and then start the fast, but just as I was in my time with the Lord, it felt like the Lord said, no, no, come to Matthew chapter 8, hold off on Daniel chapter 10. And I had given that to to Jared that we were going to be in Daniel chapter 10 this morning and then threw him a curveball, but it's amazing to me how all the worship songs that uh, Jared, and seeking the Lord, pick for us to go right hand in hand with this passage this morning. And so what I want to look at this morning is the authority that God has through Christ Jesus. Christ's authority. Now, we need to wrap our hearts and minds around that God, through Christ Jesus, is sovereign over all things. That He rules over all things. That He has power over all things. And so here, just a little bit of a backdrop and... Uh, as a way to get us into the text here, Matthew chapter eight, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven are the greatest sermon that's ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And what Christ is doing, He's starting His ministry by establishing His kingdom. And what Christ does is take the Old Testament and flips it on, flips it on its head. Uh, we saw that several years ago when we taught through the book, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And so what Christ does in chapter 5, 6, and 7 is to establish His authority through the preaching and teaching of God's holy Word. Well, now He comes right out of that to show His authority over teaching, but now He's going to show us His authority over the physical realm and also the spiritual realm. So in this passage, we'll see God through Christ Jesus, His authority over the physical and the spiritual. We're going to look at three miracles. It's amazing to me that these three miracles happen in the order that they happen. Of all the miracles that Christ could have started with coming right out of the Sermon on the Mount, He chose to start with these three. Three people. We're going to look at the untouchable leper, the unacceptable Gentile, and the unaware woman. Three people that Jesus shows us His authority. Let's look at the untouchable leopard. And when he came down from the mountain, a great crowd followed him. So Jesus has done preaching the greatest sermon. And remember, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, He he tells the people, Hey, you got to build your house or you got to build your life on this rock, the authority of God's word. Then it says this crowd begins to follow Jesus for the rest of His ministry everywhere He goes. Now let's not be mistaken, this crowd of people were not following Him strictly because they were followers of Christ. They were not believers. They just wanted to see what Christ was going to do. They were in marvel what Christ was going to do. They were not believers. They were not followers. They just wanted to simply see, in my opinion, the, the show that Christ was going to do. And so this great crowd follows Him. And I don't know where between chapter 5, 6, and 7, and 8, that this man in verse 2, behold, a leopard came to Him, Jesus. So somewhere between the beginning of Jesus' ministry to chapter 8, this leopard had heard about who Jesus was and what Jesus could do. Now, we got to know something about leprosy. So that's who came to Jesus, a leopard. Now, in that day, leprosy was a wicked, wicked disease. Leprosy was the disease that caused that person to become an outcast. So they had a special place for leopards, a leopard colony. They would take all the people that had leprosy, and put them in this colony to live by themselves because the fear of leprosy and the spread of leprosy was so dangerous that they had to quarantine the lepers. So it wasn't like this leopard was walking around the town hearing about Jesus. Somehow, that report of who Jesus was, the power of Jesus, made it all the way into the colony. Now, I just wonder, for you and for me this morning, have we had such an encounter with Christ that we would spread who Christ is to the othermost? To those who won't ever hear it or be touched by the gospel? You see, somehow, someone in the crowd those days heard about the power of Jesus and they couldn't help themselves but to talk about who Jesus was and what he had done. And then it's like the the telephone game. It just kind of goes from person to person to person to person and finally gets to the outcast. And the outcast hears it, the leopard hears it, and thinks to himself, hey, there's something special about this guy. For who? Me. Now, again, I I want you to put yourself in the place of the leopard. We are not like Jesus in this story. We are not like Jesus in the story of the centurion, and we're not like Jesus in the story of the woman. You are the leopard, you are the centurion, and you are the woman. And so this man has the thought to himself, I got to get to Christ. Now, if you know anything about leprosy, we know that through... Uh, Leviticus chapter 13, 14, and 15, the laws from Moses set out what the lepers are allowed to do and not allowed to do. They're basically never allowed to get in contact within touching distance or even breathing distance to other people without leprosy. But this man said, I've got to get to Jesus. And I'll do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. Now remember the, the passage says, and when he came down from the mountain, a what? A great crowd followed him. So this leopard had to come out of the colony and walk amongst the people and shame himself to get to Christ. Because what lepers had to do was say this. Unclean, unclean. Everywhere they went, they had to scream at the top of their lungs that someone with leprosy was coming and they were unclean. There was no hiding that this man didn't have leprosy. It was as clear as day. It says this, if you read about leprosy, they had to cover themselves from head to toe and cover their faces because even breathing could transfer leprosy from one person to the next. And yet this leper knew something radical could happen in his life if he just got to Christ. And what does it say? That leopard came. And it says, he came to him and what? Knelt down before him. That is a posture of worship. And then it says this. Catch this one little word in the text. And he knelt down and he worshipped the Lord or knelt before Christ and said this. Lord! That, that's, that is an understanding of who Christ is. That you are Lord, that you are sovereign over all things. It's not like saying, sir, it's saying, hey, you are who you say you are. This man had heard about Jesus and somewhere put his faith and hope that Jesus was who he said he was. And then look what he asked Jesus. He says, Lord, if you will, can you make me clean? Catch the word. He says to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, not if you can, because he had the understanding that Jesus could. He wasn't thinking, man, maybe Jesus can. No, he says, God, will you heal me? I want to do your will. I want your will to be done to me. And so he says, will you heal me? He has the faith in Christ to do whatever Christ wants to do. You see that in the text? It's up to Christ and Christ alone to do it. It's not a matter if he can. It's a matter if he will. It's exactly what Jesus says in the garden. Not your, not my will be done. You see, the leopard's will would have been to be clean. That's why he came to Jesus. But he's saying it's not about my will and my desires, Jesus. It's about your will and your desires. So if you will, make me clean. And then Jesus does something crazy. Look at the next verse. He stretches out his hand and touched him. You see, in that moment, What happened to Jesus and what happened to the man broke all the social boundaries. You see, I don't know how long this man had leprosy. But we know one thing about people with leprosy. They haven't been touched for a very, very long time. I don't know about you. But could you imagine coming into this church when we do the meet and greet and nobody touched each other? Like, isn't there something special about an embrace, a hug, a handshake, more than just a hello? Like, isn't there a warm feeling that happens? Well, this man and this leopard colony hadn't been touched for a very, very long time. You see, they weren't able to be touched because the moment that someone touched the man with the leprosy, that man would become unclean as well. And so no one was going to touch a leper because they didn't want to become unclean and they didn't want to have the chance to catch leprosy. It was that contagious. But Jesus, He knew, Jesus knew He could have spoken a word over that man and the leprosy would have gone away like that. But now we see the compassion of Christ through His touch. And then it says this, He touches them. And before he brings healing, he speaks to him and says this, I will. It wasn't the power of the touch. It was the power of the words in Christ that brought healing. I will bring you healing. And then it says in the text, and immediately the leprosy was cleansed. You see, what we see is that Jesus broke the boundaries of the social implications of what it meant for one man to touch another man. And then there's this weird place in the text that's like, why would Jesus say that in verse 4? So he breaks the, the, the social implications, and now he's going to break the spiritual implications by his healing in verse 4. Jesus said to him, to the man with leopard, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourselves to the priest and offer a gift that Moses commanded for proof to them, not proof for him, but proof for the Pharisees and the priest and the scribes. So Jesus now breaks the spiritual implications. You see, spiritually, we know in Leviticus 13, 14 and 15, this man was never allowed to go into the temple to worship. He was never allowed to go into the presence of God. Remember, in the temple was the presence of God. And so because this man had leprosy, he was never able to walk into fellowship with other believers or even be in direct fellowship with God. And so Jesus says to him, hey, now I'm going to break the spiritual implications that have been put onto you because of your leprosy. Now go back into presence of God and I will show you that I have rule and reign even over your spiritual implications. now remember you are the leper I'll get back to that in a minute so we see Jesus' great authority over leprosy he touches the untouchable remember that man could never have been touched but the moment he touches him says he will clean him he is immediately healed from his disease Jesus leaves that man as that man leaves him and goes to the temple and Jesus walks and we will get now to the unacceptable Gentile or the unacceptable centurion. It says this in verse 5, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward and said to him and appealed to him, Lord, my servant is laying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go. And he goes and another, come. And he comes and to my servant, do this. And he does it. And then Jesus heard this and marveled and said to those who had followed him, truly, I tell you that no one in Israel have I found such faith. Two things stand out to me about who Jesus' next encounter was. Two things. The first one is that we see in the text He was a centurion. It means He was a Roman citizen. Now, if you know anything about the culture and about what was happening in that day and age, the, the Romans hated the Jews and the Jews hated the Romans. They were bitter enemies. They hated each other. You see, the Jews knew the Romans were coming to rule over them. And so now this wicked man, this Gentile, this Roman soldier comes to Christ asking Christ for something. Now think about that for a moment. When was the last time you asked your enemy for something? Never. Here's an enemy of the Jewish people coming to God, to Christ, because somewhere in His Journey. He had heard about Christ's power and authority. He says, "I know you're a man under authority because I, I too am a man under authority. One man recognizes another man that's under authority." So he comes and he does this. Look, look at his posture. We see the posture of the the leopard. He comes in a place of worship. Now, this man, the the centurion, the Gentile, Gentile. That that's the second thing we see. He was a Gentile. He was not Jewish. Remember. Christ says this. He came for the Jews, but when the Jews didn't accept him, then he moves beyond that to the Gentiles. We see that in Matthew chapter ten. So he's a Gentile, and he's a centurion. But look at his posture. It says this, and he came appealing to him. I don't think that's the great greatest way to uh, translate that word from Greek to the English, but the word literally means he came. Begging. So one man comes in a place in a posture of worship. The next man comes in a place of utter neediness. And he begs Jesus to heal who? A slave. I know it says servant, but the word literally means a young slave. For he is paralyzed at home, suffering. So he's begging. Christ to use his power and authority over this paralyzation of his slave or his servant to bring healing. And then in verse 7 before he can even ask the question he simply says my servant is paralyzed at home suffering and Jesus interrupts him and says hey I'll come. Now Jesus now breaks another social boundary. Jews were never allowed in Gentile homes that would have made them unclean again. A Jewish man could never interact with a non-Jew. So there was no way a Jewish man would ever enter into the house of a Gentile. But God, through Christ Jesus, shows His authority that He's willing to break all boundaries to get to people. So he, He says, I'll come and I'll heal Him. And then the man says, no, I'm not worthy. Still a place of neediness. Still a recognition of who he is in light of who Christ is. I'm not worried to have you under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. And then he has that exchange for I too am a man under authority. He recognizes Christ's authority. And then Jesus says this, truly, I say to you, no one in all of Israel have I found such faith. You see, faith, Brought healing. I'll get to that. Circle that word in your Bible, faith. Jesus confirms his faith and says, through his faith, he goes in verse 13. And the centurion said to Jesus, and to the centurion, Jesus said, This go, let it be done, for you have believed. And that servant was healed that very moment. Because of who? Christ, but what was the agent that brought healing? Faith. The last one is this. The unaware woman. This is Peter's mother-in-law. It says this, that Jesus entered Peter's house and he saw his mother-in-law laying sick with fever. Now, in Mark's account, and Luke's account, it says this. That before Jesus could ever even get to the home, people ran from the home of Peter to Jesus in the same posture that the people came to Jesus in Mark chapter 2. That they came with this faith that Christ could do something for this mother-in-law that lay sick. So they had faith that Christ could bring healing. The woman is unaware, laying in the bed sick, of what Christ could do. But because of the faith of other people, healing came to this woman. And so Christ sees and has compassion for Peter and for Peter's family and for this woman, enters her house, and it says it took her by the hand. He then touches again. Remember in that day, men were never allowed to interact with women. Again, an outcast. Women in that culture were secondary. So we see in this three accounts that a leper was an outcast. We see the centurion as an outcast and now we see a woman as an outcast. And Christ, what He does and His authority flips all three upside down on His head. He shows His power and His compassion over the outcast. Remember, you are the leper, you are the Gentile, you are the woman and so am I. And Jesus entered the house of Peter and He saw His mother-in-law laying sick with fever and He what does He do? He touches her. Men were never supposed to touch women outside of their home that was their wife. And the fever left and she rose and began to serve Him. That evening they came and brought many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And Verse 17 is the clincher of all the passage. This was to fill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. For the sake of time this morning, we do not have time to go to Isaiah chapter 53. But Isaiah chapter 3 is the connection of what Matthew is trying to say to us. You see, Matthew is recording what was said by the prophet Isaiah 2,000 years before Christ was ever born. It's called the suffering servant. And what Isaiah does is through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and God, he talks about this man that's going to come, the servant, the suffering servant, who's going to take care of things. Our illnesses, our diseases. But see where the passage stops, but I don't believe that I believe that Matthew had this in mind. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. It says this in the passage. The the passage that Matthew quotes is that he will heal all of our diseases. But look where that's in context with the passage. It says this in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him smitten, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was what? Pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And on and on he goes, talking about what Christ would come to do. You see, Christ did not simply come to bear and heal our diseases and our infirmities, what Christ came to do. And I believe what Matthew is trying to show us in this passage is that Christ came to show authority, not over the physical, but also the spiritual. That, that Matthew is saying to us that Christ has all the authority, yes, over spiritual things. But if you look at those things in that passage, those things are true about us because of our sin. He's using a very worldly thing to show a supernatural thing that is occurring. We are the leper in our sin. We are untouchable. We are outcasts and we are as far away from God as possible. And no one wants anything to do with us. We are like the centurion in our sin. We saw this last week. We are what of God that Paul tells us in Romans? We are enemies of God. And we are like the woman unaware of what other people are doing on our behalf in our sin. You see, I don't think in my life I knew the power of prayer that my grandmother and my granddad were praying for me from the moment I was born to the moment I turned 18 and I came to know Christ. I was unaware of their activity and God's activity in my life. I lay on a bed sick, dying. And because of the faith of my grandmother and my granddad praying over me and for me every day, their faith brought me to faith. You see, we are those three people. You see, you are the outcast. You're the leper, you're the enemy, and you are the woman because of your sin. This is true, and this is the application for us this morning. The application is this. We are all spiritually sick. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. It's what Paul says about us being the outcast. Not only are we sick, but we are dead in our sickness. Because of our sin and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. All of us in this room were once dead and outcast, the untouchable because of our sin. Verse 4. Catch this. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love, which with He loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, what made us alive together in Christ by grace, you have been saved. You see, all of us in this room were once dead and outcasts because of our sin. But because of God's great love and God's great authority, He came down and touched the outcast. He came down and touched you. You did not touch Him first, I promise that. He touched you when you are unaware of being touched. The next thing about our sin is this. Because we are spiritually sick, because we are spiritually dead, we all need a Savior. We all need a physician. You see, you cannot save yourself. You cannot heal yourself. You cannot redeem yourself. You cannot bandage yourself up good enough to come to Christ. You need someone to step in on your behalf to do for you what you could not do for yourself and that is heal you from your sin and make you alive. Well, you do not have the power to make yourself alive. But Here's the thing that we all must have to bring salvation. It says this, in verse 8 and 9 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, He says this, for grace, you have been saved. It's grace that you're here this morning. It's grace. If you know Christ Jesus, it's his grace that's been poured out onto you and to me this morning. He says, for grace, you have been saved through what? Faith. It's Christ's love that gave you faith. You did not have faith in your own. You had to get it from God and God gave you the faith to believe in Him. But we all need faith that comes from God in order to escape our sin and our unholiness and our unrighteousness. It is a... What does it say? In the next part of the text? For grace, you have been saved through faith and this is not a what? Doing of your own. Your faith is not a doing of your own. It is a what? A gift of God. You need the great gift of faith from God in order to be saved. But you must have faith from God to be saved. Salvation is a gift from God through faith. All three of these stories, all three have the element of faith. The leper had faith that Christ could do something for him. The centurion had faith that Christ could come and heal His servant. And the people around the woman had faith that Christ could do what only Christ could do, and that's bring healing. Do you have faith like that this morning? And here's the scariest one of all of them. This is a matter of life and death. Sin is a matter of life and death and what Christ can and will do for you. If you do not place your trust, hope, and belief that Christ is Sue, He says He is the authority and reigner over all things, you will die and spend eternity apart from Him. You will stay dead. But by God's grace and God's gift of faith to you, if you place your hope, faith in Christ this morning, then He, by His authority, will give you life and life to the full. That's what He tells us in John 10.10. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life to the full. You see, sin causes death, but Christ and His authority over sin gives us life. Have you placed your hope and faith like these three individuals in Christ? Again, Christ comes into the world and gets messy. All three accounts. We see the messiness of our stories, But we see God's great love through us formed from Christ Jesus. Steps into the mess. He, he does not wait for the leper to get clean. He, he does not wait for the paralyzed slave to heal him. He does not wait for the woman to wake up and serve him. He steps into the mess and gets messy on our behalf. He removes our mess and takes our mess onto him so our mess is removed. He does not want you to get cleaned up. He will do the cleanup if you place your faith and hope and trust in him today. He goes to the messiest of places on our behalf. There's no mess that you've created that Christ will not enter and will not remove from you. No matter how messy your life is, the God of the universe, Christ Jesus, will step into the mess and remove your mess. He absorbs our chaos to bring us peace. Have you placed your hope Your trust and your faith in that God. No matter what you've done. No matter what you've done. You're not too messy. For God's redeeming work. He steps into our mess. He makes the outcast. The lovable. He calls the outcast into His kingdom. You see, you were once an outcast, but now you're a prince. You were once an outcast, and now you're a princess in God's kingdom. He calls those from the uttermost into Himself when we place our faith, hope, and trust in God. Have you done that this morning? You see, Christ has all authority and dominion over all things and has that desire for you. Let me read the passage from Ephesians like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of His great love, which He has loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages you might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For grace you have been saved Through faith. And this is not of your own. It is a gift from God. It is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For you are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which He, God, prepared for before that we should walk in them. It is grace that you have been saved, a gift from God. Have you placed your hope and faith in Him today? Let us pray. God, You came for the outcast. You came for the leper, the untouchable. You came for the enemy. You came for those who are unaware. You and Your goodness to us and Your kindness to us took the outcast and brought us in. I'm so grateful to You, God, that I did not have to clean my mess up to come to You, but You, enter right in the middle of my mess and take my mess away. God, I pray for anyone here that has not placed their hope and faith and You have not bestowed upon them the great gift of faith. I pray that would happen through Your Holy Spirit this morning. That they would place their hope and faith and life in Your hands no matter how messy they are. They would hear no matter how unlovable they think they are, how unworthy they think they are how messy they think they are God that they would hear from you you are lovable you are worthy now you are righteous because of your great work you've done in our lives So continue to lead this church lead us God that we would leave here and herald your great message of your kindness your goodness your faithfulness your power your rule, your supremacy, and your gift of faith. That you would use this church and this community. That you would let this church welcome the outcast the same way that you welcomed us. Continue to lead us and guide us. Do great things in our midst. And let us believe that you will do great things. pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. If you're here this morning, you do not know Christ as your Savior. You sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you and you don't even know what's happening. Come find me. Come find one of the deacons. We'd love to pray over you and share the greatest gift. It's Christ Jesus, your Savior. If you're here this morning, you're struggling. And you're struggling to believe that God can cleanse you of your mess. We want to pray over you because He does and He will. There's no mess too big for him. If you're feeling like an outcast this morning, you just need prayer. We want to pray over you. There are no outcasts in this building. I'm grateful to get to stand before you this morning and proclaim and herald God's great truth of his authority and power over our lives. If you need prayer, come find me. Come find one of the deacons. We want to pray with you this morning. Let's stand and worship God together.